What do you want to let go of? What is preventing you from completely letting go? Welcome to episode 379 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Shauna, Anonymous, Clara, Kate, and Joanne. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Shauna, Anonymous, Paula, Clara, Kate, and Joanne for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave Take what you like the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing to speak to you. My name is Spencer. I'm your host today. Joining me today as co-host is Eric. Welcome, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. How are things in chilly, Michigan? You know, we had 60 degrees yesterday, and it's sunny. Oh. It's supposed to cool off today, but it's been pretty nice this weekend. 20-something here yesterday and 60 today. Yeah. Crazy weather, what? Yeah. All right. You found a perfect reading for this topic of letting go, didn't you? I would say for me it was, that's for sure. Okay. And it happened yesterday, as fate would have it, with a sponsee working on step one. I turned the page because it's our second time looking at the book, Searching for Personal Freedom, the workbook, Letting Go. Because I was affected by alcoholism in my family, my thoughts and feelings became distorted. I thought I knew what was best for others, but now I learned that many of my attempts to control others actually contributed to the problems I was trying to fix. I felt compelled to force solutions, but I ended up making many situations worse. My life became unmanageable. I felt out of control. I was absolutely miserable before I came down. Step one is the first step in an incredible journey. It shows me that alcoholism is a family disease, and it puts my life back into perspective. I am completely powerless over many things, but I'm not powerless over me. I'm responsible for my actions, but not for anyone else's thoughts or behavior. Step one puts the focus back on me, not the alcoholics. My attempts to control others make my life crazy. But by letting go, I become free. Those around me find freedom to make their own mistakes and face their own consequences. Step one also helps me to love the person and accept alcoholism as a disease. Alcoholism is like a spider web. It is almost invisible, yet it affects anyone who comes into contact with it. This disease spreads through families, twisting relationships, and making everyone sick. In Al-Anon, I've learned to detach with love and put myself first. Funny how it works. By letting go of others, I can experience an even greater personal power and freedom. Okay, that sets the stage for us. A bunch of references to prior episodes in there. Perspective, you and I did. Freedom, you and I did. You know, you brought this topic to me. I'm yeah. sure that there was something going on in your life that kind of sparked it. Yeah, yes. It hit me, I don't say like a ton of bricks, maybe a brick at a time. <laughs> Just It hit me like a couple of bricks. I've been using the inside timer, as you know, for meditation almost daily now for going on five or six years, ever since someone in the room said, you can do all the steps in order, except any step with a one, then you can start tomorrow. 
And he referenced step 11, which is thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact. And so I started the next day and found the app Insight Timer. I came upon this poem read with music and, and uh, by someone named Jack Godsman. Yes, that's really his name, called She Let Go. And it is just so beautiful and so powerful. I've shared it with so many people, and the reaction I get is so strong. And it's all about letting go. And the words within it are just poetic and beautiful and poignant. And we can talk more to it because I think we have it as one of our song choices. That was the moment where I said, I need to focus on letting go. I think it's worth a deeper dive with you. And I started thinking about it as what typically happens when I put something in the forefront of my brain. All kinds of things start coming towards it. When I put it out, it comes in. And it occurred to me that almost my entire program is about letting go. Letting go of flame. Letting go of anger. Letting go of expectations. Letting go of catastrophizing the future. Letting go of the past. Living in the moment. So that was the core of what prompted me to suggest this episode and reach out, look in, reach out for other shares. And how do we let go? And what do we let go of? And what does letting go of that make room for? I guess that maybe sums up what the uh, motivation. What does it mean to you to let go? If you think about specific instances of letting go and yeah. what took place, what came of it, what happened to start about answering that question because um, there's so many different things to let go of and maybe so many different ways to do it. For example, very early in, in my Al-Anon program, I had heard this slogan, let go and let God. Maybe it was a meeting topic or something. And so there were some shares that kind of made some sense to me. I wasn't sure about the God part. I hadn't even got to step one, let alone step two or three. And at that time, I had an early cell phone, might have been a flip phone, I don't remember, that you could put like one short line of text on the screen. So I put in let go, which meant every time I opened the phone and looked at it, it said let go. Well, what was I letting go of? I was working at that point to let go of trying to control my wife's drinking and let go of enabling my wife's drinking. So what that meant in more literal terms was that there were actions that I used to take that I was now practicing not taking. I was practicing not counting the bottles. I was practicing not telling her that her drinking was destroying our family. I was practicing not buying wine for her when she ran out in the middle of the evening. Those were things that I could not do in practice of letting go of trying to control her drinking. And an outcome that came from that, somewhat unexpectedly, I think, paradoxically maybe, I started to feel less anxious, less frantic about her drinking. So there's an example. And in that case, letting go meant to stop doing things that were not having any effect or were actually having negative effects. And so letting go of things that I th thought were helpful, but actually weren't. What are you letting go of 
today or what did you let go of last year and how did that look? How did that feel and what happened from it? I let go and I'm trying to let go of every day to be conscious and aware of it. Let go of the need to be right, the need to win, the need to control, the feelings of guilt. Let go of feelings of blame, of resentment, anger, anxiety, everything I can't or shouldn't try to control. Mm-hmm. Doing for others what they can do for themselves. I got to let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. And if it's let God, I, I, maybe, I mean, the biggest part for me of that slogan is let go, you know, uh, worry, uh, fear, anxiety, all of it. As I said, I think my program is all about letting go. And then when I let go, I make some room for the things to let in that are helpful. Some of the tools can make their way in when I let some of the garbage out. And as I said in you know my little paragraph teaser about the show, if God wants it, he's welcome to. His hands are bigger, his heart is stronger. His will that's greater than mine will ever be. You know, clutching to the past, clenching my teeth and dreading the future keeps me stuck and mired in a mud pit of my own make. I wrote down in a meeting yesterday, as I typically do when I have a topic that I think would be worth sharing to our universe, I share about it in the meetings, in my Zoom meetings daily or in the face-to-face meetings. And I, for the last two weeks since I chucked out this notion, I found a way to turn almost every daily reader, there's within it a notion of letting go, almost universally for the last two weeks. In a face-to-face, no matter where it was, what we were reading, there's a nugget in there that I could steer it to because that's what I'm focused on. Again, the power of attraction. When I need it, I get it. When I ask for it, mm-hmm. I would get it. And mm-hmm. when I put it out there, it comes back to me. So as a close to a little share yesterday, we were reading How Alamont Works. And I said, how about this for letting go? We need to make a plan. And I said, plan A is let go. Plan B is let God. Plan C, refer back to plans A and B. <laughs> yeah, I got some chuckles. That's really the thing I missed most about the live meetings is the feedback, you know, the laughter. Yeah. We did an episode on that too. Yeah. Indeed. So Indeed. letting go of everything that holds me back. And and I need to apply that daily when I'm out in traffic, when I'm in the grocery store, when I'm triggered by someone I love who's behaving in a way that I find disturbing or triggering. I need to let go of my old behavior. How about that? To sum it up, let go of my old behavior. Use a tool. Yeah. What tools do you find are most helpful and that may change with the situation? We obviously have slogans. I had some slogans that certainly work for me. There's let go and let God, of course. That's the base slogan about letting go, but also one that has been really helpful for me in my life is how important is it? You talked about letting go of the need to be right to win to control. How important is it is something that I have used over and over again to try to let go of those things. When I can recognize that something that, in my opinion, is wrong is not that important to correct I can let go. My wife and I have 
a complete disagreement about where a particular piece of furniture in her house came from. She thinks it came from my grandmother. I think we got it at a local consignment store. Does it matter? How important is it that we actually agree on where it came from? Not. Not at all. But there's this little voice in the back of my head that says, but she's wrong. We've really got it from the consignment store, not from your grandmother. So that brings me to a, another this is this a actual slogan or is this just something that we say around the rooms? Would you rather be right or happy? And it's on my list for the next round of slogans to send WSL. My list is growing exponentially. I, I asked one of my kids that question when they were complaining about something going on with somebody in their life. And I said, you can ask yourself, would I rather be right or happy? And he said, right, always right. Because I can't be happy if I'm not right or something to that effect. I'm like, okay, let go of trying to change that behavior, <laughs> trying to change that yeah. thought pattern. Oh, man. Regarding the furniture, especially? She absolutely could be right. Yes. Oh, neutral responses. There you go. Right on that. It jumped right yeah. on neutral responses. It's one of the tools that helps me stay in the let go mode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, easy does it. Helps me let go of anxiety. One day at a time. Helps me let go of worry. Neutral responses definitely helps me let go of, yeah, a lot. I shared in that meeting yesterday, possible slogans to send up the ladder for some eventual issue of additional slogans. I got no dog in this fight. Not my circus, not my monkeys comes up. But yeah, the neutral responses is where I went to when I was hearing you talk about furniture. Yeah, you know, how important is it in mind? Yes, that's a huge one. Uh, and the neutral responses really what does it matter and to avoid a conflict because as i've said many times the alcoholics primary weapons or tools are to create anxiety and provoke loss of temper you know i don't have to catch the rope there is no tug of war unless i pick it up or even catch it so staying neutral saying uh-huh i see let me think about it you could be right Oh, I send that sometimes to a, a response to a text that I get that something hostile or aggressive. I send O, oh, which protects me from the, the baffling and cunning and powerful nature of this disease. I don't have to win anything today. So I have a list here of things that we might be letting go of right at the top of the list. And these are things that you listed off earlier. Resentment and anger. Yeah. And... What I think about there is that for the most part, those feelings hurt me and not the other person. When I'm resentful at somebody or angry at somebody, what it mostly hurts is me because it's taken up space rent-free in my head. It blocks me from serenity it blocks me from sometimes just being able to get stuff done. I'm going to add anxiety to this list, too, because that's another one. Yeah, blame. Blame and fear. Oh, my. All kinds of things here. Shame. Shame. That was a Guilt. hard one for me, yeah. Letting go of the shame I had at not being able to fix my wife's alcoholism. That's how I've gotten to it now. 
at the beginning, it was just like, I can't talk about this. This is too shameful. And the question is, well, why is it too shameful? And I think for me, it was like, I felt like I ought to be able to fix it and I couldn't. And that's, that led to me feeling shameful about it. Responsibility. You know, I don't have to do everything for everyone. You know, I can let go of some of that responsibility. I'm not in charge of everyone's life. I used to think I had self-will. I got to let go of self-will. Yeah. Turn it over. Selfishness. Self-will. I'm just scanning the index. There's, oh. there's, it's despair. Just despair. Just, just it's, it's everywhere, man. Yes, it is. It's everywhere. Yeah. Before we move off of that, you asked me what are some of my tools. And the one that I didn't even touch on, which is we started the whole episode today with. It's meditation. Meditation has turned what I was, which is a 12-cylinder type A Leo, into a six-cylinder hybrid with great economy of effort. I get great mileage now. I get wonderful mileage. My costs come down. My bank account stays higher. I just go slower. It literally, figuratively, emotionally, mentally, I have learned to slow down. And that I credit largely with a daily practice of meditation. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> we were looking at a book that a friend of my wife's wrote. I forget the exact title, but it's the subtitle is something like 50 ways to worry less now or something. And my son just picked, I don't think it was a random chapter. The author was talking about fear and she had an example, which was I am fearful about his drinking. Why am I fearful about his drinking? I'm fearful that I might lose him. Why am I fearful that I might lose him? I'm afraid that I'll be alone. So asking that why question and drilling down, I think it can be a really helpful tool because when she gets to, I'm afraid I'll be alone, she identifies something that she can do something about that she can actually have a possibility of changing that fear of being alone, maybe by widening her circle of friends, maybe by practicing solitude and finding, you know, joy in, in solitude through meditation or something like that. The first two fears are not things she can control. She can't control her husband's drinking. She can't control whether she loses him or not because of it. But she can do something about the fear of being alone. I think I've come to this tool before. I think I've thought about it before, but I hadn't thought about it in exactly that way of, oh, if I keep asking why, eventually I can get to something that I can do something about. When I've talked about acceptance... I've talked about when I accept the things I cannot change, as the serenity prayer says, when I accept the things I cannot change, then I can identify more easily with that wisdom to know the difference, the things that I can do something about, and I can stop spending fruitless energy trying to change the things that I can't change and actually direct that energy someplace that will make a change. That was just such a simple example. And I think it struck home with my kid who's in a fear state right now about stuff going on in his life. 
I think the serenity prayer, a lot of it is about letting go, things I cannot change. I, I wrote down when you were talking, letting go on dependence, meaning the dependence on others. It ties right in with responsibility. I, I don't have to do everything for everyone, nor should I expect everyone to do everything for me. It's the dependency on others. It reminds me somehow of this phrase when you were talking when I was in this rehab with my daughter's way of recovery. The family week, I shared this with you a few times. The counselor for the parents said something, always struck me at the time very harshly. And he said, I can tell you with absolute certainty, I've been married for 30 years, whatever he said, that I love my wife. With absolute certainty, I can tell you with that. But I can also tell you that I don't need my wife. I don't need her. I guess it really struck me as harsh at that time. Mm -hmm. The more I thought about it, you know, by needing, meaning I require you, it's a form of codependence. You know, I require you to breathe. means I'm not really taking care of myself. That's codependent. You know, I love you. I wouldn't say this to someone. I wouldn't say this to my wife. I love you, but I don't need you. Because it sounds very harsh. But the concept is I need to be able to survive on my own. And that's about letting go of dependence on other people that I can't survive without you. I have learned in this program to be independent, to have my own life, to live and let live. How about that? For one of our slogans, it makes sense. Yeah. With letting go. Live and let live. Let go of trying to live someone else's life for them. When I let go of other people's stuff, I can live my own life. Yeah. I have a few quotes here. Oh, yeah, time for some quotes. Let's do the quotes. I think so. They're fun. One of my favorite philosophers is Lao Tse. When I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. Okay. Wait, I got to think about that. I got to think about that. When I let go of what I am, so when I let go, drilling down in a little bit, when I let go of the things that are holding me back when I let go of my character defects, then I become what I might be. He gets pretty esoteric. Yeah. The, the concept being is empty out your, your rucksack. I want to make room for some clean and clear thinking. That reminds me of one of the readings, and I think it's in Paths to Recovery on step six, where it's like, well, if I let go of these things that are part of me, what do I become? Is it, I think I'll be a Swiss cheese with all these holes in me if I let go of all my defects? Yeah, I'm not finding it right now, but it, it's in the literature somewhere that one of the things that holds me back from being entirely ready to have God remove all my defects of character is step success, is the fear of who will I be without these things that have been part of me for so long? Yeah. Next quote. Yeah. We must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. E.M. Forster. It doesn't take a lot of strength to hang on. It takes a lot of strength to let go. J.C. Watts. I see one like that from Herman Hesse. He says, some of us think holding on makes us strong, but sometimes it is letting go. That's a different way of saying that same thing, I think. I think I, one of the very first episodes you and I did together, I spoke about my inability to let go. 
go. This is how pervasive this topic is with me. Mm-hmm. I was not willing to let my marriage fail. As the other turn of the phrase goes, let go or be dragged. Right. Yes. Probably all heard that. I was being dragged. I had the tail of a kamikaze pilot's jet, and I was going to down to ship. So let go or be dragged. A couple other quotes. Let come what comes. Let go what goes. See what remains. Mm, okay. Breathe, let go, and remind yourself that this very moment is the only one you have for sure. Oprah Winfrey. The philosopher of our time. Uh, yeah. Uh, the key to change is to let go of fear. Roseanne Cash. I think for me so often what blocks change and hopefully change for for the positive is fear. And so letting go of fear letting go of fear has been was a really huge part of my early program and still continues today. Um, one of my kids is having problems in a relationship and came to to stay with us for a little while to, as he put it, come get a hug. We were talking about anxiety, his anxiety about what was happening in the relationship. And I said, when you have done everything you can do right now, then if you can let go of the fear, the anxiety about what might happen because it hasn't happened yet, and you've done everything that is in your power to do right now, then it is possible to to let that anxiety go. It takes a lot of practice. It's not easy. And we talked about the FEAR acronym, the false evidence appearing real, which he had not heard before. I don't know. Maybe I never said it to him before. Maybe his mother never said it to him before. I don't know. But he was like, oh, I'm going to have to think about that. And sort of came to this idea that, yeah, so fear is about something that hasn't happened. You have all this evidence, and it seems like things are going to go in some particular horrible direction because how else would they go? And if you can recognize that it hasn't happened, and it could happen, but it could also not happen. It could also go in a completely different direction. And if we fear the worst, then we're just wasting our energy and our emotions and running that hamster wheel, as you say, that hamster is strapping on his Nikes, right? When we let that false evidence run run rampant in our heads. And I hope that helped him a little bit with the things he's struggling with. I don't know. A lot of it in my whole program is really about letting go. I'm going to read two more. Yeah. Um, this is from Wayne Dyer. I guess he's an inspirational author. The Tao teaches us to let go of things. Use the 80-20 if you take all your clothes, you'll find out that you only wear 20%. Take what you have and don't use and give stuff to people who really need it. After all, we come into this world with nothing. We leave this world with nothing. Take what you have and don't use. So that's like yeah. the stuff that I have that I don't use. And then circulate it to people who will use it. Okay. I, he's talking about something physical like clothing, but it applies yeah. to our spiritual. Yeah. Well, yeah, the things that hold us back. I, if I look yeah. in my closet, it is absolutely true. When I want to put something in the closet, I have to push things apart to make a space to slot the pants back in after I washed them. So why am I not letting go of those things? Part of it may be laziness, and part of it is 
I don't know, some kind of like emotional connection. Oh yeah, I remember we got this. It's such a time and it meant this to me then. And well, I can't get rid of it because I have this connection. I have a whole bunch of t-shirts that, that sort of memorialize times in my past that I never wear. I have at least a couple of sweatshirts that my parents gave me that don't fit that I can't get rid of because my parents gave them to me and they represent something. There's a sweatshirt that they made that has a picture of the dog we had when I was a kid. I can't get rid of that, right? I mean, I can. I can still remember the dog without having the sweatshirt and it doesn't fit me. Yeah, take a picture of it. Yeah, or take a picture of it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe there's a different way to keep the part of the thing, the connection to the thing that's important without keeping the thing. There's a, there's a tool. Lighten up. That should be a slogan. Lighten up. Here, here's a quote. This is by someone named Mary Manon Moresi. Even though you may want to move forward in your life, but you have one foot on the brakes. In order to be free, we must learn how to let go. Release the hurt. Release the fear. Refuse to entertain your old pain. The energy it takes to hang on to the past is holding you back from a new life. What is it you would let go of today? Mm, yeah. The energy it the, takes to hold on to the past. I got to let go of the energy, go. the space in my closet, the yeah. boxes of stuff in the basement that I haven't opened in years. Yeah. Those are all taking energy. I walk into the basement, I'm like, oh, there is so much stuff. We're paying somebody to help us sort through our stuff so we can get rid of the the stuff we don't need. Because as I move towards retirement in the next couple of years, then we're going to downsize our lives. We want to move into a a house that's all on one floor so we can age in place. Then we probably won't be able to move all the stuff. And there's that emotional energy. So if we get somebody else who's willing to dig through and just help us with that task. It's worth paying for. We got some shares from listeners. We sent out an email saying, hey, we're going to talk about letting go. And what's your experience, strength, and hope around letting go? I'm going to read this one from Shannon, who writes, hi, Spencer. Thank you for the topic and the beautiful poem from Insight Timer. I wasn't sure if I should respond to this because my path to letting go has been an unconventional one, even by Al-Anon standards. I'm an adult child of an alcoholic father and a mentally ill mother. As a result, I also suffer from complex PTSD, major depressive disorder, and panic-slash-anxiety disorder. It used to be a source of shame for me, partly because of how society tends to view people with mental illness, and partly because of my character defect of people-pleasing and allowing other people's opinions of me to define who I am. But I thought maybe some listeners could relate. I'm married, an alcoholic, an addict. And in 2020, during COVID, he relapsed. After 10 months of unacceptable behavior, I finally had enough and told him I could no longer live under the same roof with active alcoholism, and we separated. During our separation, one of his former recovery friends, who unknown to me at the time was also relapsing, called me one afternoon and told me that I needed to start calling jails and hospitals because no one had heard from my husband in days. This friend, and that friend is in quotes, later called me back and told me that they had eventually found him in bed with another woman. Even though we were separated at the time, I still loved him, and this news completely devastated me. The pain of his betrayal was so excruciating, it almost destroyed me. 
Had it not been for my kids, Al-Anon, and my sponsor, I don't know how I would have made it through. I prepared myself mentally for divorce. But, oddly enough, when I prayed and meditated, as my Al-Anon sponsor encouraged me to do, I kept hearing, wait, and getting the feeling I shouldn't make any major changes just yet. I discussed it with my sponsor, and I waited, deciding instead to focus on my own healing and self-care, regardless of what happened with my husband and our marriage. I ended up making the decision to go to a wellness retreat for a weekend. Since he was homeless at the time, and against pretty much all my friends' advice, I texted my husband and told him he could stay at our house while I was gone at the retreat for the weekend, as long as he was gone by the time I got back. He agreed, and I spent the weekend having a wonderful time by myself at the retreat. When I got home, I was ready to move forward with the divorce. But despite previously agreeing to leave before I got home, my husband was still there, and this made me angry. Much to my surprise, that day he begged me to help him get into a detox program. I did, and he's been back in AA and sober for over a year now. He's doing great, but I have really struggled. I worked my steps. I went to meetings. I met with my sponsor. I did individual therapy. I prayed. I meditated. I even tried yoga, Reiki, acupuncture. I tried it all. But I just could not let go of feeling so betrayed. Betraying me with alcohol was one thing, but betraying me with another person was too much for me. I relived the day I got that phone call over and over again in my head. I just could not let the past go. Even after I truly forgave him for it and he made amends, I could not let go. I finally gave up and asked my higher power for help removing my obsession over the past and the pain that came with it. They say to wait for the miracle to happen, and I'm so glad I did. At my next doctor's appointment, my doctor suggested I try a therapy that was very new and not covered by insurance. I was scared and skeptical as this is not something I ever would have considered myself, but I knew I needed to do something different, so I gave it a try. I've since realized that if I could have healed my obsessive thinking myself, I would have done it a long time ago. But I had to accept that healing happens on God's time, not mine. When I got out of the way, I believed that my higher power was finally able to remove my obsessive thinking and my depression and anxiety are getting better too. As you've said on your show, recovery is slow. I still don't fully understand why my husband did the things he did, nor do I think I'll ever understand the disease of alcoholism but now I am able to let go of those things and focus on taking care of myself. I can also let go of the shame and indecision that held me back from focusing on my health. Today, when I can't feel my way through a decision by asking myself what feels like the next right thing for me, I know it's time to surrender to my higher power, who always handles it so much better than I ever could have imagined. I also found this quote from Courage to Change particularly helpful in letting go. If you understand, things are just as they are. If you do not understand, things are just as they are. That's a Zen proverb. I don't have to know the answer. Sometimes I just have to let go and let God. Thank you and all your guests for all you do to shine some light on these important aspects of recovery. Shannon. Wow. Thanks, Shannon. And and we've had that quote before, I'm sure. Of course. Uh, Yeah, and it's true. If I understand, things are as they are. And if I don't understand, they are still... What they are. Wherever I go, there I am. Yep. That's a great story. Yeah. That's, that's Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Your friend Bruce sent us a, a short share on letting go. Can you read that? Sure. Hi, I've heard this poem before somewhere. I put parentheses there from me. I think I said, yeah, I said, I've heard this poem before somewhere. It's quite beautiful and very powerful, very soothing and calm. 
there is no effort in letting go. It is simply a conscious choice we make. Someone may decide to give it to God. Some may decide to throw stones into the water or flowers into the air. Some may walk a trail or a beach. Some may listen to music or view a lovely sight. In each of us, there is a way to truth and peacefulness. This is what I seek and achieve when I let go. Beautiful. Yeah, that reminds me. Yesterday, as I said, my kid was feeling very anxious a lot of the day. And we went and did something. We went to Costco, okay? And after we got back, he said, you know, I feel less anxious now. And Bruce is talking here about some things we can do, I would say, to reconnect to life, reconnect to the world, reconnect to the moment, to be in the present. And that would get me away from worrying about the future or obsessing about the past. Some great ideas there. Yeah. Move a muscle, change a thought comes to mind. Yeah. Move a muscle, change a thought. Patrick sent us a, an email. He writes, Dear Eric and Spencer, I would like to share my thoughts on letting go. For me, letting go is a great part of my daily recovery routine. If I let my ego rule or when I am too busy controlling life, I know I will be in trouble. The past has shown me that my will often leads to bad decisions. This means that on a daily basis, I need to consciously let go of my ego and my instinct to want control. I do this by ideally starting off the day with a meeting. And if I start on my own, I find great help in a few prayers which seem to set my mind straight. Examples are the third step prayer, the serenity prayer, and the desiderata, which is a poem that was written early in the 20th century that many of us I've probably heard before. I'm going to read this. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even to the dull and the ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. Love that word, vexatious. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always, there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe. No less than the trees and the stars, you have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. So Daisy Dorada means 
things that are desired or things that are desirable, something like that. By the by, the way, vexatious. Yeah. Annoying, vexing, irritating, irksome, displeasing, infuriating, maddening, exasperating, corrupt, and cold. There you go. <laughs> yep. Patrick continues in his own words here. Of course, there are also slogans, let go and let God. How important is it? Other tools to me are praying about my strong will and the wish to be led by my higher power. We totally left out prayer when we were talking about tools. Yeah. Whoops. If I have difficulty in letting go, I can also use the God box if there's a problem in my life, which I need to hand over to my higher power and have trouble letting go. I write it down on a piece of paper and put it in the God box. I haven't used it, but I've heard that as a tool yeah. from some other people. Who are like, yeah, when I put it in the box, then I can let go of it because I have physically given it to God. I got that way up higher on the list. I don't use mine enough. Okay, here's more Patrick. I also try to envision my circle of influence, which is as great as a hula hoop. Everything outside it is not in my control. Of course, all of this is spiritual progress instead of spiritual perfection. Looking back on my recovery, one of the reasons for me to start drinking was an ultimate need to stay in control. The fear of losing control became more and more overwhelming. So alcohol became my medication as a symptom of a larger problem, an addiction to control and a lot of other stuff. Oof. Using alcohol as the cure for an Elanon problem. Mm. I th- sorry, that's me. That's not Patrick. That's me just like riffing on that. Patrick says, at first I experienced that drinking helped me regain or keep control over my situation, but I needed more and more until I had lost all control. The first thing... I had to do an early recovery is probably the same thing I still have to do every day to let go of my ego because ego and control was what kept me from recovery. I was not an alcoholic. Now I see the similarities instead of only looking in others for what I'm not. I needed to find my open mind. I think for any human, letting go is not that simple. We are taught that if you want something bad enough, then you can have it if you're willing to do what is needed. People and maybe men more than women want to be seen as in control. For if you're not, others may see you as weak. I see myself as normal and intelligent. For me, it was very hard to understand that I could not stop drinking and that I had lost control over my life. I see now that my need or my addiction to control and to the approval of others drove me away from myself. I can now find peace and have peace with not being in control. As a result, I can have serenity and find much more joy in my life. Ultimately, things are working out better most of the time than they could have if I had kept pushing things to go my way, because my experience is that forcing things, God's time, not mine, did not help me or the people I was with. My greatest discovery in thinking about this topic, I think, is that other people had to let me go, and I had to let them go to be able to get into recovery, because it was in the relations with other people and in the struggle between me and my dear ones that I could not stop drinking. Writing this, I find hard to better explain, but maybe this means that I will need God's time and not mine. Kind regards, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick, for that fantastic exploration of where you weren't letting go and where you are working to let go. That was amazing. Thank you, Patrick. Kaya sent us a voicemail. Hi, my name is Kaya, and I'm talking about letting go. My sister, who is in a recovery program, encouraged me to go to Al-Anon, which I did for six months, but then I left when I got stuck in a position that my emotional maturity couldn't handle. 
about six months later, I'm visiting her, and by now she's so exasperated by how much I'm beating myself up. She goes up to her mantle, she points at this artwork, she goes, take a picture of this and put it on your phone to be your background photo. So I do that, and I look at it, and every single time I look at it, I feel a tinge more relaxation. And what it says is, let it go. And I find that I start doing things that normally would really scare me, like going to see somebody I admired, speaking in New York, and then walking around for a little bit. I was able to, it was so much fun, that I felt this capital D on my forehead, like a D of shame for divorce dissolve. And it's like when I walk through life, if walking through life is a field and you come out with a bunch of burrs on your pants, that those type of hurts and resentments stuck to me and they defined me and I couldn't let it go. So it, it was one of those great aha moments. And I went back to Al-Anon and it had been kind of scary because I had to take responsibility for my behavior from six months before, which I did. And I found that just the same way I, I couldn't watch paint dry, I couldn't watch grass grow, but that things changed. Like anything I do that is extraordinary, I know it is not me. I know it's more than me. And that's the spirituality that's that's um, evolved. And let it go. It's still on my background photo. It's a great source of growth, you know, even five years later. And uh, like, I'll go to try things. It's, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I go, why not? You know, why not? What's the worst case scenario? I have trouble doing it and people are there to help me that I'm able to let go and know that I'm always supported and that I'm not alone. Thank you. Thank you, Kaya. Yeah, thank you, Kaya. I got a last minute voicemail from Julie. Hi, Spencer. It's Julie. I saw your call out for the topic of letting go. So I thought I would call in that meditation that Eric mentions. He actually recommended it in an episode a while back and I've been listening to it. She let go. Uh, I love it. I really love it. It's helpful and it is cathartic. However, sometimes it doesn't quite do it for me because afterwards I don't feel like I've completely let go. And lately I'm realizing letting go for me comes in. It's a process. It can be drastic. Like I can let something or someone go and I immediately feel the release and the lightness and freedom from it. And then there are other times when I just need to feel the pain of letting go because there's pain involved and it's a process. And I was just listening to your latest episode with Nancy and detaching with love is a lot of letting go for me. My father, who has the disease of alcoholism and my mother, Lately, I'm just relearning to detach with love from them and really putting myself first and saying no and turning them over to their higher powers, knowing that they have their own higher powers, just like I do mine, and letting go of that self-talk of if I don't help them with such and such, who's going to? They're going to end up in peril. And that means... I'm not a loving, kind daughter. Whenever that thought starts ruminating in my head, I let go by turning them over to their higher powers 
and turning myself over to my higher power. And then just feeling the pain because I spent so much of my life believing that their well-being, their happiness depended on me and what I did. And that is untrue. I know that. As my sponsor reminds me, I'm not that powerful, right? I'm not their higher power. As long as I'm stuck in that thought, I'm not living. I forget where my feet are. I forget that this here, today, I only have today. No, I only have this moment. I don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. I don't know if I'll be around. So I want to be as present as possible. And I want to be alive because life is fleeting. And so I look out, I notice the day. And if I find myself again in those thoughts and feelings that just go down that rabbit hole, I can remember, okay, they are my thoughts and feelings. They are not me. I'm the awareness and space that hold those thoughts and feelings. And so I can go about my day and feel my pain. And then I can start my day over. What is the next most loving thing that I can do for myself? Relaxing, having a nice meal, taking a bath, going for a walk. So that's how I let go. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, thank you, Julie, for that. She says, there are times when I just need to feel the pain of letting go because there is pain involved and it is a process. And yeah, some of the things that I have let go of over the years, they felt like an integral part of me. And, and definitely there's some pain, emotional pain, at least in letting letting those things go. Before moving forward, how about this reading? Courage to Change, March 5th. When I first started working the steps, the thought of having my character defects removed made me very nervous. I thought I would end up like a chunk of Swiss cheese. You found it. <laughs> Full of holes. But I wanted to get better. And I was continually assured that the steps were the key to my recovery. So I went forward in spite of my fears. I had to take the risk and act on faith before I could receive the gifts of my higher power held out to me. Nowhere in the steps four through seven do we ask God to do anything, but rather to take away the things we do not need. I found that every single defect that was removed had been hiding an asset. I didn't lose myself at all. Instead, as I let go, the things I didn't need. I made room for my strengths, skills, and feelings to become more fully a part of my life. I take comfort in this because it reminds me that everything I need is already present. But I couldn't be sure until I worked the steps and found some relief from my shortcomings. Today's reminder, God knows exactly what I need and has already given it to me. My job is to keep it simple and to ask God for God's help in relieving me of the extra stuff, the shortcomings that keep me tied down. And the American proverb, quote, before sunlight can shine through a window, the blinds must be raised. Okay. Let it go so I can grow. Let it go oh, so I can grow. Slogan. Yeah. Just made that one up. After we were finished recording this episode, Pat called with this share on letting go. Hey, Spencer, this is Pat from the West Coast. You asked about letting go that Eric wrote the introduction that I assume you'll use for the show. This is just what came to mind to begin with. I think it's a really incredibly complex topic and deep, and I'm that you're going to have one heck of a show from that one. But my thoughts, 
letting go, the image that first comes to my mind is of a kite string that is flying high in the windy sky, or rather a kite. One can let go without turning anything over to a capital letter G, higher power. Sometimes I have difficulty with the concept of a higher power that intrudes and manipulates our lives to give us lessons and make things happen for us. So I find the visual really helpful for letting go. I also found that as I was writing this and in letting go of many behaviors and habits, I was embracing something else. So as I've worked through my own recovery, I've found that in I, letting go of rules and have-tos and should, I've learned to embrace openness and alternatives and be non-judgmental. I've let go of outcomes and let go of a lot of fear. And that comes from embracing living in the present and recognizing that I can't know what the future will bring. And that if I'm living in the wreckage of the future, that's very self-defeating. And it's really embracing the right for others to be self-determining and giving them the respect of leading their own lives, letting go of expectations of myself and others. In doing that, I'm embracing gratitude for who I am and for others rather than being judgmental, letting go of inadequacy, guilt, self-judgment, and ridicule. And I'm instead embracing love for myself and acceptance of my humanness and imperfections and acceptance of my continual growth state. And then letting go of feelings and past hurts and past wrongs and resentment. And again, that's embracing joy in the present. Tools, I embrace tools. I embrace detachment and mindfulness and living in this day and this moment. I embrace boundaries. Um, not letting the other person get to me, not taking things personally, which I do a lot of, and identifying behaviors that I don't choose to accept, and then what choices I can make when those boundaries are crossed, and embracing the possibility of an HP. Those are some thoughts, and I really look forward to listening to the rest of the program. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pat, for all of those thoughts about letting go, different aspects of letting go, and what it's meant to you. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. Your first selection for this episode, that would normally we would have a musical selection, but you are proposing something else here. Tell me about it. That is the poem that inspired this episode, um, called She Let Go. There is music. Beautiful. Background music and birds. Uh, okay, the poem originally composed by Sapphire Rose, as read in Inside Timer by Jack Godson. She let go. She let go without a thought or a word. She let go. She let go of the fear. She let go of the judgments. She let go of all the confluence of opinions swarming around her head. She let go of the committee of indecision within her. She let go of all the, quote, right reasons. Only and completely, without hesitation or worry. She just let go. She didn't ask for anyone for advice. She didn't read a book on how to let go. She didn't search the scriptures. She just let go. She let go of all the memories that held her back. She let go of all the anxiety that kept her from moving forward. She let go of the planning, all the calculations about how to do it just right. She didn't promise to let go. She didn't journal about it. She didn't write the projected date or daytime. 
She made no public announcement, put no ad in the paper. She didn't check the weather report or read her daily horoscope. She just let go. I'll leave the rest for people to listen to. It's quite amazing. All the things that, like, some of maybe I think I need to do. I need to ask yeah. advice. I need to read a book. I need to look in the scriptures. No, just just do, do it. it. Just, just do it. it. That's a different slogan. But yeah, <laughs> just let go. Just let go. Yeah. Just. Yeah. I don't finish with the last two sentences. I'll just wrap. Yeah. In case people don't have the ability to click on it. If they're driving, I, I know if I can't click on videos and audio yeah. because I'm listening in a car. Yeah. It finishes. No one was around when it happened. There was no applause or congratulations. No one thanked her or praised her. No one noticed the thing. Like a leaf falling from a tree. She just let go. There was no effort. There was no struggle. It wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was what it was and it is just that. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. A smile, a small smile came across her face, and a light breeze blew through her, and the sun and the moon shone forevermore. Forevermore, yeah. I will put a link to the Insight Timer in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 379. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? Some of this, as we were talking about letting go, because a lot of it was about letting go. My son called Wednesday morning, had a blow up in his relationship and wanted to come be with us. Now, he lives in New Hampshire and it's a long drive, somewhere between 12 and 15 hours, how often you stop and stuff like that. It's a long drive. And I said, yes, of course you can come. And he arrived sometime after midnight. After, I think, driving nonstop, he said he didn't eat anything all day. He was just so anxious, so unhappy that he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep. I know that there were times in my life, and particularly when I was dealing with alcoholism that those things were true for me and so whatever I can give back so he came and we had lots of conversation I tried to inject some Al-Anon wisdom from time to time and sometimes he was willing to accept it and sometimes he wasn't and I had to let go of that there were times he would say ah this thing happened and I said you had a part in that you continued that. You picked up the rope. I didn't use those exact words, although we know what that means if we've read the book. The, the other person threw out the rope, and I pick it up, and I start the tug of war back, and I get involved, and it doesn't do either of us any good. When I tried to lead him down that line of thought, he wasn't willing to go there at that time. I'm like, okay. I said what I needed to say. And now I have to not belabor it, you know, be brief, be honest, be gone. But then there were other times like the conversation about anxiety and fear that he really like was drinking it in. I guess that was what spoke to him at the moment. I was glad that both me and my wife were able to give him some of 
what we have learned the hard way in hopes that he can maybe find a slightly easier path through life. I've often said about this kid that he, throughout his life, has always had to learn things the hard way, has always had to learn things by making his own mistakes. And maybe now that he's over 30, he's starting to be able to take in some of other people's experience and maybe not have to go down that whole path himself. I don't know. I'm hopeful about that. He left this morning to drive back home and it He's in a better place now, and I think his relationship with his loved one is in a better place. And hopefully it'll be a while before the next crisis. But, you know, I don't control his life. I don't help him with things that he doesn't ask for help with. But I am always here to be a support. And that is something that I totally learned in Elena. So that was my week. Oh, no, one more thing. In my Saturday morning meeting first Saturday of the month, which it was yesterday, we're going through the Blueprint for Progress workbook. And yesterday, we got to the sex chapter. We split the Zoom into two rooms. And one of the rooms is following the Blueprint. And the other room is whatever the step of the week is, which was step 12 this week. The person who was opening the meeting, said ahead of time, now those of you who are considering coming into the Blueprint for Progress room, the Step 4 room, be aware that this is the topic that we're going to be talking about today. If that makes a difference in your decision, we ended up, I think, with seven people in the one room and everybody else in the other room, like twice as many people in the Step 12 room. Might have been a day that it would have been good to have three rooms. But I was there, and as has happened in the past when we hit that topic it was difficult it was deep it was honest and i got a lot out of it and i put a lot into it and the example of other people sharing openly on a topic that we so often hide and don't talk about at all i think made it possible for us to share on that you know what i mean that was the other thing that, that stood out for me this week in, in recovery. How was your week? Well, yeah. So this week, um, my younger was home from college during break, which I guess is coming earlier and earlier every year. She flew back from North Carolina Saturday, and I took her back yesterday to the airport in New York, to LaGuardia. It was a good week. She uh, regrouped a bit. It's been uh, a bit bumpy at school, going back and feeling a lot of grief about her mom passing away in the fall, feeling very alone. But on the other hand, she is uh, doing well there and has a quiet space now that she can lock her door and, and study. So this week she was home. We had a, a lot of nice meals together. She spent a lot of time with her sister, which in the past has been challenging. Yes. Sibling relationships, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, but this week was actually pretty smooth. They spent a lot of time with Rudy, Doug, and so he was in heaven. Let's see, a uh, couple more Al-Anon moments. I was asked to consider stepping up to be Area Public Outreach Coordinator for the state of Connecticut. And so I gave that a bunch of thought. It's it's for the entire state. I haven't done service at the area level. So I put together, they asked for Al-Anon resume, which I didn't know even people did, but I did put it together. Had that call with that group committee on Friday night, 
two nights ago. We'll see how that goes. They're going to reconvene in a month and a half to, to do another review and think about it. There's another person applying for that or stepping up, rather. It's not a job. Let's say I got really sick. Just a a reflux disorder that I have that typically will go away in a half hour after I eat something that doesn't agree with my esophagus. This one didn't go away. So I couldn't eat or drink anything. And so Thursday mid-afternoon, I called my doctor. He said, what do you think? Get yourself to the ER. So my daughter drove me to the emergency room here in Greenwich. And I spent the entire night in a hallway in a gurney an extremely painful abdominal pain because mm. anything I tried to swallow, I would throw up. Mm. So not to be too graphic, but that's true. And they had me on all kinds of IV to get hydrated and try the anti-nausea medications. Nothing was working. So I virtually slept none at all until I woke up briefly sleeping at four to five on Friday morning. I had not one thing to drink or eat, not even a drip drop of water through my mouth. Anyway, since Wednesday evening. The last test they wanted to do was a scope down my throat, endoscopy, whatever it's called, that they did, CAT scan, MRI, I mean, everything. But when I was discharged at about nine, I actually felt fine. Stuck miracle. And I had been fantasizing about giant glasses of iced tea for <laughs> like two days. I had the sweaty glass with ice cubes and Arizona ginseng. <gasps> I will never, ever not appreciate a tall glass of ice water again. In my life, I, yeah, I, I treated myself to actually, I had breakfast right at the hospital. That's how quickly I, I pulled out of it. Yeah. Amazing. And it's uh, daily meetings. I've been busy at work again, so that's a great thing. Did a share yesterday morning at my 7.30 meeting. I was in the bathtub, not to be too graphic, but where are my friends? And it was seven. It was 7.25. I was just getting in my bath, my tubby, Saturday morning. And then I was listening to the, the pre-show pregame show on uh, the you are not alone morning 7 30 meeting daily and they said there's no leader for today would anyone like to step up and i'm <laughs> thinking i got a podcast to do tomorrow with spencer i need some input so of course i said sure i'll do it oh yeah, yeah. so i'm drying off and blowing my hair you know because i want to turn the camera i'm right. really sure so i don't look like the unshaven and bedraggled and so yeah of course the readings from that day i twisted and, and conformed right into the topic of letting go and apparently from the chats and, and the things I got offline, it was spot on and had a lot of impact. So I couldn't have asked for a better prelude to this meeting with you. And yeah, and then went to another Saturday in-person meeting in Darien. And again, that's where I came up with that plan A, let go, plan B, let go, plan C, refer to plans A and B. Everybody chucked a lot of that. And I really missed that from the live meetings, so hearing people feedback from not crosstalk, but just hearing maybe a sigh of relief or a chuckle. So that was nice. So that was pretty much my week. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And instead of looking back, we'll look forward. I've got an upcoming episode recording with a listener about being a single parent and business owner in recovery and the challenges that she's facing, I guess. We'll see where that conversation goes, but I'm sure there will be some great experience, strength, and hope shared. Do you have a similar experience in your life that you'd like to share? We welcome your thoughts. You can join our conversation. You can leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. And Eric, how can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. 
Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on our website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo to email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of letting go or any of the upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. If you would like advance notice for some of our upcoming topics so that you can contribute to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at recovery.show. Put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. Our website, which is therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, which includes notes for each episode. This one is at therecovery.show slash 379. Of links to the readings, videos for the music. In this case, we'll have a link to both the poem itself of She Let Go and the Insight Timer meditation uh, on that poem. We'll take a short break before we look at your feedback. And what is the second song you picked, Eric? This is Let It Go, a song from Frozen by Adina Menzel. I'll just read the first verse because I think the whole thing, if you, everybody knows the song, if you have kids in this show, watch the movie. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen, a kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl. You always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. Thank you. Thank you. We've heard from you on a number of topics. Tani is writing about the topic of letting go. Hello, Spencer. I'm a longtime podcast listener, but have never written. I think that this topic might be the most powerful of topics that you've considered, as for me, it touches the premise upon which all the rest of my recovery hinges. Just wanted to offer my humble appreciation and thanks also for the Insight Timer suggestion. I listened to it before my third cancer-related surgery last week, and it made all the difference. And she's, of course, referring to the poem, Let It Go, which, again, there will be links in the notes at therecovery.show slash 379. Thanks, Tani. I hope that this episode meets your expectations. Katie writes, I just started listening to your program. Very helpful, but I need some resources. What book would you recommend I start with? Thanks, Katie. The first book that I typically recommend to newcomers is the book How Al-Anon Works, which is our basic text talks about the LNM program and has a bunch of stories of people who have found some serenity and recovery in the program. One of the daily readers would be my second recommendation, probably either Courage to Change or Hope for Today. Hope for Today has uh, daily shares f- mostly from people who grew up in a family where there was alcoholism. It's also the most recent of the three daily readers. They're all available online at the Elanon Electronic Store, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. And 
on that first page at the Elanon store, they have a section, the fundamental texts recommended for newcomers and, and so on. So you can go there and, and make your choices. Patty writes, Spencer, first, thank you for your podcast. It has been a big part of my support. I'm new to the program and new to Al-Anon. I'm still struggling that alcoholism has even entered my life. After 30 years of a happy marriage, my husband started struggling with alcohol. About six years ago or so, what was always a social and a non-issue of drinking spiraled into a real problem for him. I reached a breaking point one evening and reached out to a family friend for help. I was beyond grateful he accepted their help and has since been on his own journey of recovering through AA. It was now my time to start my own recovery. I now have a great group of support, which includes your podcast. The story I wanted to share with you is this. My husband slipped up after four months of sobriety and drank one night. I could tell as soon as I walked into the house. I very calmly asked if he was drinking. He said, no. As we know, the truth is not really a drunk's strong point. I did not press the matter. I simply said, do me a favor and call your sponsor in the morning. He said, I'm not drinking, but yeah, I will call him. Forty-five minutes later, he came downstairs where I was watching TV and admitted he had been drinking and he was very sorry. I told him, okay, call your sponsor and we can talk in the morning. That calm response was a direct result of my support group, but mostly listening to your podcast. Three days after this conversation, I was sitting in the living room listening to your podcast. My husband asked, what was I listening to? I said, an Al-Anon podcast. He commented, you listen to too many of those. I said, was my reaction to your slip-up balanced and measured? He said, yes. I said, then do not tell me I listen to too many of these podcasts. He turned around and left the room. Thank you for your service. You're making a difference in many people's lives, Patty. Well, thank you, Patty, for that story. Um, I'm glad we can be of some small amount of help. Patrick writes with a topic suggestion. He says, I wonder if the power of the meeting could be a topic for a podcast. I was asking myself questions like, why do I attend meetings? What was it like for me in early recovery and what has changed since? What do I bring to the meeting? What don't I take from a meeting? What is a good meaning? Are there bad meanings? I've written down more ideas about it, but I was wondering if it might be useful for a topic. Have a good Sunday. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, I think we've had maybe a couple of episodes about meetings, but I don't think the power of the meeting has ever been a topic um, of an episode. And yeah, we should talk about that. Pam writes, can you tell me which shows deal with regaining trust? My husband, who is in recovery, feels that I am taking too long to trust him again. If I don't trust him, then he says, what's the point of staying together? It's been almost three years since the last drink. He and I are in our early 70s and have been married 50 years. He was in full-blown alcoholism for roughly five or 10 years. I've not been able to adequately explain that it will just take time. I wrote back to Pam. I said, well, there are three episodes directly about trust. There's one called How Do You Trust? That's episode 281 at therecovery.show slash 281. There's Trust and Trustworthy, episode 228, and Trust, episode 91. In addition, if you search for trust, it turns up some other shows where trust was a topic in some respect. I'll put uh, a link with that search into the show notes. What I have said many times in meetings is that in my relationship with an alcoholic, we were something like 25 years with drinking and it not been 25 years since then. And 
If it took 25 years to get into the hole, it could take as long as 25 years to get out. I think it didn't for me. But when trust has been broken, it can take a really long time to regain it. Jillian asks another, where can I find? She asks, where can I find a list of all the songs you play on the podcast? I'd love to have it. The best I can do for that right now is to put a link again in the show notes to the Recovery Show playlist on Spotify. Not every episode has a playlist there, but many of them do. Sarah asks, during your episode 371, your guest mentioned the Gratitude ABCs. Can you explain what that is? And simply put, it's a way of making a gratitude list where you start with A and say, I'm grateful for antelopes. I don't know. And then B, and I'm grateful for bathtubs and so on. I mean, it should be things that you actually have some gratitude for. What it does for me is that when I do this, I have changed my mood. I've used this, for example, to help me go to sleep at night. And I have, as far as I know, never gotten all the way to the end of the alphabet. I have tried starting at the end and working backwards. I have actually recorded a a couple of episodes, I think, where I did an A to Z gratitude list. The most recent one was in 2019. That's episode 309. I wrote every year around Thanksgiving, I give special attention to the things I'm grateful for. This is my list for 2019. This year, I created an A to Z gratitude list. Most of these are gifts I got from this program of recovery, and it starts with A for acceptance, B for boundaries, and so on. So that's episode 309 at therecovery.show slash 309 if you want to listen to that particular A to Z gratitude list. Thanks for asking the question, Sarah. April left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. My name is April. First of all, I want to thank you for doing the recovery show because it's been an awesome supplement to my weekly Al-Anon meeting. I'm calling about episode 337 where one of the callers had expressed a concern about parental alienation from their former alcoholic who had passed. I believe it was affecting their relationship with their children. I have some experience with such a thing. I I don't know if I should call him my qualifier, but it's my ex-husband, so I don't think I should call him my loved one, but parent of my children. And that's been very difficult to walk through the journey of the effects of alcoholism on the entire family and on the children. And to see him go through what he's going through is very difficult. I do believe he carries a lot of shame and other feelings towards his own alcoholism. And sometimes that gets projected towards others in his life. Sometimes that's directed towards me with our children in the form of parental alienation. But it's possible to get through this. And I just wanted to offer my, my gratitude towards the show and the gratitude towards the al program for helping me through all of that. And to let your listeners know that there is hope on the other side and it's possible to get through this. And it's possible to still have a good relationship with your children, whether or not there's parental alienation or blame going on or projection or any of that stuff. So thanks again. I hope you have a great day. Bye. And thank you, April, for sharing your own experience on the topic of parental alienation. Thanks. Delat writes, Hi, Spencer. I'm glad to hear the podcasts are back for us to listen to. I enjoy them so much, and I've learned so much from the recovery-filled episodes. 
One thing I haven't heard enough for me of in the various episodes is what happens after our alcoholic loved one dies from this disease. My husband was a very successful and prestigious trial attorney who died on May 5th, 2021 from his alcoholism. The four years prior to his death were so awful and scary, and I was faced with having to detach with love almost every single day. In addition, when he died, it was such a relief in a lot of ways. It was hard not to feel guilty about feeling this way. My husband was verbally abusive and maintaining boundaries was so difficult. But now that he is dead, what does one do with all these feelings? I was faced 24-7 that there are only two endings to these stories. Either the alcoholic seeks recovery or he or she dies. How do we navigate through our lives with that reality? Anyway, this is a subject I would like to hear explored a bit. Take care, Delette. I'm going to guess that by now you have probably listened to episode 376, which I titled My Husband, which is one person's response to the death of her alcoholic loved one. What I know about grief, whether it's grief filled with love or grief tinged with other emotions, is it takes a while to calm. I don't know that it ever completely goes away. I still feel grief for friends and relatives that I have lost decades ago. But it's not as strong as it was. The other thing that that I have learned is to feel the feelings as they come, to accept them as feelings, and as best I can to not judge myself for feeling them. That's, that's what I've got right now. Maybe you're listening right now and you have had the experience of living through the death of your alcoholic loved one or not-so-loved one, and you'd care to share your experience, strength, and hope with us. Just call or write, and we'll share it. Thanks. Maria writes a letter. Dear Spencer, I've listened to your podcast for years, and it means so much to me. Thank you and all your co-hosts for your service to the Al-Anon community. I want to share some experience, strength, and hope around the idea of progress and very slow progress at that. I often worry that I'm not getting it after so much time in the program, nearly eight years, and I wonder if others feel this way too. I'm hoping this can help them. Nothing has ever been more romantic to me than being needed. Not wanted. Don't confuse the two. Needed. Nothing gives me greater validation and personal satisfaction than when someone needs me and I come through for them and then they thank me for it. And by thanking, I mean just words. Please, for the love of God, don't give me a gift because now you've gone too far and the balance is off. I've had this fantasy in my head of a scene similar to that iconic moment in the Academy Award-winning movie A Beautiful Mind. Russell Crowe's character, who suffered from extreme bipolar disorder, hallucinations, and fits of rage, wins the Nobel Prize for economics. He's giving his speech and says what you would typically expect, but then adds that the language of love, pan the camera to his wife's face, is what got him where he was that day. So, of course not the recognition of his own strength and endurance, putting in the work as a brilliant economist and author. It was, in fact, his wife's love that won the Nobel. And he truly needed her, and she never gave up on him. That fantasy has fueled me for so many years. We can be reading off the preamble in the middle of a meeting, and I'll still be picturing this nonsense in my head. 
I pictured my husband standing at a podium with 20 years sober speaking to a crowd of new and legacy alcoholics and addicts and giving me the same level of recognition that the movie romanticizes. That has been a huge part of my sickness. Step one has taken me eight long years. I've never even believed in the unmanageable part until more recently. My mind has always thought that I have power and I can manage it. I've felt that anything short of that would be weakness on my behalf, my responsibility as a wife, and acceptance of defeat. All of these things with major, heavy, negative connotations. As I enter this eighth year together with my husband, my qualifier, and the love of my life, it has become abundantly clear to me, finally, that I'm just as sick as him and in my own ways. The kids today like to say, my toxic trait is... I actually think that's a healthy thing to do, to recognize one's own weaknesses and admit them out loud, cue step five. Using that terminology, my toxic trait beyond my delusions of power and control is that I live in the future and never in the moment. With every relapse my husband has had, and there have been literally too many for me to count or even remember at this point, my first thoughts are about what my family will think. How will we get through this event or that? Should I cancel the vacation? What will I do next week? Should I cancel my gym membership? And so forth. It's like unconscious, out of control, unraveling of my logical thought process and fear takes over. The only positive thing about the gut-wrenching, terrifying, nauseating, anxiety-provoking meltdowns that I have had when he relapses are that I get to tell him about every single feeling that I'm feeling and then try to find a way to get him to feel the same pain as me. Super healthy, right? But I'm sharing this because sometimes the serenity comes fast and sometimes the serenity comes slow. My husband is in active relapse, and just for today, I didn't ask my husband about his sobriety, and I didn't beg him to stay sober for the day. I got up early, went to the gym, got the kids off to school, and ate a healthy breakfast. I kissed him goodbye, told him I loved him, and I left for work. That is huge for me, and I'm proud of myself for that. It is progress, and we aim for progress, not perfection. Just for today, I'm going to focus on myself and let go of any control I think I have on his sobriety. Just for this moment, I will dispel all of those fantasies of being the one who finally changes him, and I will release my spiraling thoughts to my higher power. I'm not perfect, but I'm making some progress, even if it took eight years to have this one good day, and that's all I can ask for today. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Maria, for writing. That is such a strong statement of the power that this recovery program can have. Thank you. Becky left a comment on episode 237 titled Healing the Trauma of Alcoholism. She said, thank you for this. As I sit here crying, words cannot express how much I needed this message. Thank you for writing. Sometimes I have no idea what power my words might have or what anybody's words might have, really. Cynthia wrote, I'm just started Al-Anon after living with a sister who's an alcoholic and my ex-husband dying from drugs. I've taken my sister and her entire family in because of her addiction and her husband's addiction, put them and their three children in homeless situations. They have lived with me altogether four different times, and I've taken her children three times for eight months at a time because of her neglect. My ex-husband had a drug addiction, and I allowed him to live in my home six different times in 15 years. My whole life for the past 18 years has revolved around dealing with addicts because I thought I could fix them somehow. 
I now am learning I'm powerless to help them, and I've only wasted a ton of years doing the wrong thing. Al-Anon is helping me to regain some of my self-worth and accept who I am, and helping me learn not only how to deal with my sister, but also change my attitude about how I listen and communicate with everyone. Thank you for the podcasts. Today, I heard a woman talk about how she was determined not to go to meetings before the addicted person. It really resonated with me. I, unfortunately, didn't know there was a support group for family members. I just thought there was AA. I'm finally finding peace with my life and learning I can't fix everything, but I can take care of myself. I look forward to the meetings, but at work, I listen to your podcast while I work. It's so helpful. Thank you and everyone who shares here. It helps more than words can say. Thank you, Cynthia, and I'm glad you're finding some help for yourself now. Donna writes, greetings from Texas. Approximately three years ago, an Al-Anon friend told me about your podcast. She had listened to one of Mary Pearl T's open talks, which you posted, and felt the need to share it with me. At her suggestion, I listened to that episode. I, too, found it hilarious, informative, and very helpful. I was hooked. Starting that day, I started listening to The Recovery Show nearly every time I was alone in the car. About a month ago, I listened to the last one, and I am now staying current in addition to listening to past episodes. I also listen to Al-Anon Open Talks that I can find on YouTube or other sources. Yesterday, I listened to an Al-Anon Open Talk from quite a while ago. I found it captivating, helpful, and hilarious. I thought it may be one you'd like to share with your listeners. She sends a link, and the speaker is Aileen R., and I will put that link in the show notes at, yeah, you guessed it, therecovery.show slash 379. Thank you for all you do to carry the message. Speaking for myself, this podcast has been a key contributor to where I am in my recovery journey today, and I emphasize enough how much I appreciate what you do. Wishing you peace, hope, and serenity, Donna H. Thank you, Donna, for writing. Thank you for that link, and I hope others enjoy it as much as you did. Noel sent us some topic ideas. Practicing the presence of God, maintain through growing, I'm not sure exactly what that means, and lessons to blessings. That one reminds me of an open talk that I've listened to a couple times where the woman talks about her sponsor saying, what a blessing, when something difficult would happen. And coming to understand that, yes, those lessons can be blessings. Our third song I picked, it's an obvious one. I picked Let It Be by the Beatles because, you know, it just is. What can I say? It is a song about letting go. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.